Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence St. Joseph Health Medical Experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Andrew Gomez, a board-certified sports medicine physician at Providence Medical Group Mill Creek Sports Medicine. Today, we're answering your questions about platelet-rich plasma treatments, also known as PRP. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from our listeners via social media. We can be found on Twitter at PSJH and on Facebook under Providence St. Joseph Health. Use the hashtag TalkWithADoc for a chance to hear your question on our episodes. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, well, let's get started by welcoming our expert today, Dr. Gomez. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's start. It's platelet-rich plasma treatment. What does that mean? Basically what that means is um, for patients, they they come in, they have some kind of injury, and they've tried other treatment options and kind of exhausted their non-operative options. And what we offer to them is drawing their blood, typically around 15 to 120 cc's of blood. We spin it in a centrifuge, we get out the plasma and the platelets, and we inject the plasma and the platelets back into the site of injury, whether it's the knee joint, the patellar tendon, the rotator cuff. Um, The essence of it is basically concentrating the platelets to supra-physiologic levels and then injecting those platelets into the site of injury. But it is my blood. Yep, correct. Okay, yep. so it's not someone else's blood. It's not donated blood. It's my own blood. Exactly. And why is that important? Well, it definitely is important because it kind of allows providers to offer this treatment. If it were someone else's blood, the regulations would be much more stringent. I don't even know what that would look like. But people are drawn to this type of treatment because it's getting some of you and putting it into a different location. So people are really interested in using their own body's capabilities to heal um, a side of injury. So is it like um, the other, like your kidney or whatever, when you're trying, like, does it matter that the blood responds to your body better because it is your own blood? Well, when you start thinking about putting other blood products in other people, when you go to the hospital, for example, and someone needs a blood transfusion, you have to type and cross them or type and screen them because all of everyone's blood has different antigens on them. You've heard of A or B type O blood, and you would run into a lot of different um, barriers to using other people's blood. I'm sure that it could be done, but it would be much more difficult. And not only from the medicine uh, physiology perspective, but from a regulatory perspective as well. Sure. So I guess we could start at the very basic level. What is plasma and what are platelets? So plasma is the fluid that the blood products or the blood cells are suspended in. So when you think about blood, everyone thinks about red blood. And that's because you have a lot of red blood cells. Um, primarily the blood is, is red blood cells, but you have white cells, you have platelets, there's tons of different white cells. There's neutrophils and um, there's monocytes, a ton of different cell lines in the white blood cell um, category. Now, plasma is basically the fluid that all of those cells float in, so it's primarily water. It also has proteins like albumin, it has hormones and electrolytes and other things like that. So it's primarily a fluid that suspends all of this stuff that has to be transported in the blood. Now, the platelets are basically um, these really small cells. They are originate they originate in the bone marrow, like most um, cells in the blood, and they don't have a nucleus, and they're primarily the 
healing cells of the of the blood. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you were to get a cut, the platelets would arrive. Um, they would be some of the first cells to arrive. They release growth factors and they facilitate forming a scab. Um, so they facilitate okay. healing. They release all types of growth factors, chemokines, cytokines, and it's thought that these different cell signaling molecules contribute to healing the tissue when we inject it into a knee or a tendon or whatever it might be. So pretend I'm a patient and I've come in and you're going to offer me this, this, this type of a treatment. How do you decide it's the right treatment for me? How does it work? How do you explain it? So I like to adhere to evidence-based medicine as best as I can. Now, there are some people who have a tendon or a ligament and there's not much research on the matter, and I'm completely forthcoming about the, the lack of evidence in certain cases. But let's take the knee, for example. So we know that knee osteoarthritis, mild to moderate knee osteoarthritis, responds pretty well to platelet-rich plasma. There was a recent article in the Journal of Arthroscopy, it's a pretty robust journal, that showed that it's as good, if not better, than another type of injection that we do, visco-supplementation or hyaluronic acid. These are the gel shots that people get um, for osteoarthritis. Now, say a patient comes in, we're talking about their knee, you have knee osteoarthritis, they've tried physical therapy, they've tried whatever NSAID they like, ibuprofen, naproxen, they're taking Tylenol, maybe they're taking another medication, they're using a compressive sleeve, they've kind of exhausted all their options. Now, the first thing that we'll talk about is injection therapy. Now, I kind of offer them a buffet of options. In the case of osteoarthritis, we can't really reverse osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. It's primarily symptomatic-based management. So I let them know, hey, you've kind of tried and exhausted all the routine things. The next thing we can consider prior to surgery, so bone on bone, you need surgery, a total mm -hmm. knee, for example, but there's a huge chasm in between routine conservative treatments and joint replacement. And that's really where injection therapy um, shines. So people are familiar with the cortisone shots. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have tr tried and maybe failed um, visco supplementation, the hyaluronic acid shots. And it's those patients who I introduce the idea of platelet-rich plasma. And I tell them what it is. I tell them the evidence. It's good for mild to moderate osteoarthritis. I, t I temper their expectations. I let them know it's not a, a magic silver bullet but it's a safe, we know that it's a safe procedure and that it might help with their symptoms. Now, the thought leaders in the field of regenerative medicine, orthobiologics, they're jumping corticosteroids, they're jumping over viscosupplementation, and they're going straight to orthobiologics like platelet-rich plasma. And I have to say that it seems like a really slick way to manage osteoarthritis because when you think of the side effects of repeated corticosteroid shots, they are catabolic, they do break tissue down, so they can break down the articular cartilage, accelerating osteoarthritis, whereas P something like PRP doesn't do that. As far as we know, it does not do that. So the thought leaders in the field of orthobiologics are jumping right to PRP, and it's totally reasonable to try that for patients. Now the risks, um, when I talk to patients about it, the risk is primarily a financial one. Okay. It's expensive. now. Patients, um, I see patients of all different walks of life, and for most people, it can be prohibitively expensive, and unfortunately, right now, it's not covered by insurance. I've tried submitting prior authorizations to various insurance companies, and unfortunately, I, I have not gotten it covered yet. 
I think that's going to change in the future. But when people ask me, well, what's the primary risk? It's usually a risk to their pocketbook. And hopefully it works. It's possible that it may not be the best treatment option. It's possible that it may not work. And the patient may end up with a hole in their pocket. Sure. Outside of that, you inject it like you would inject any other medication, visco or corticosteroid. So it has the routine risks with regard to injecting, but overall it's pretty safe. So no other negative side effects that you can... Now there are certain people who shouldn't get it, people with active malignancies, people with certain, taking certain medications. When I do the consultation for PRP, we get that all cleared up and you shouldn't be taking antiplatelet medications like NSAIDs or turmeric. There's a lot of different... Is that like a blood thinner? Yep. Well, blood thinners, yes, absolutely. So warfarin, some of these newer blood thinners, um, even ibuprofen, naproxen, those medications can deactivate platelets. So we counsel them that they should be off of those medications for one to two weeks prior to the injection and one to two weeks after the injection to really let the platelets do their job. And how often do you do an injection? So there's a lot of research interest in that particular question. And I think most community providers agree that doing one shot, seeing how it goes is reasonable, seeing how the patient benefits, and then potentially offering another shot when the symptoms flare up again. Now, the the idea of doing two shots within a short period of time or three shots within a short period of time, for example, one shot and then the next week doing another shot is being studied and so far, there's no evidence supporting, as far as I know, two or three shots within a short time frame. There's no evidence supporting that that's superior to just doing one shot. And so I guess one of my questions would be, since you take, you draw my blood, and then you run it through the centrifuge, and then you inject it into me, is that all done in the same day? Or do you come in one day and get the blood drawn and the next day come back? So it's usually all done within a 30-minute visit. Oh, wow. So my medical assistant will draw the blood, and that takes about five minutes. We spin the blood. That can take anywhere from five to 15 minutes, depending upon the kit or the distributor of the um, platelet-rich plasma processing kit that you have in the centrifuge. That'll take five to 15 minutes, and then injecting it is another five minutes. So it's actually a pretty quick process. Kind of like a cortisone shot then, basically. exactly, yep. So you talked a little bit about who's not a a good candidate. Who is a good candidate for it? So a good candidate for PRP is someone who, um, we talked about the financial risks. It can Mm -hmm. be pricey. Um, We talked about some of the other contraindications to PRP therapy. Now, I think the people who are good candidates are people who have tried and failed routine conservative management. And that's really who I introduce the idea of PRP to. I'll, I'll mention it to other patients who haven't tried a corticosteroid shot or haven't tried some of the other routine conservative measures, but the people who have tried physical therapy, um, rest, ice, heat, compression, all that stuff that is often recommended, um, by mouth medications, all that stuff, routine injections, the people who have tried and failed that stuff are usually good candidates to try PRP if they're willing to try it. And what do you consider to be the best benefits of it? Is it pain management? Is it regeneration? What exactly is it? So the studies primarily look at symptomatic benefit. So a lot of these studies will use VAS scales, so visual analog scales, a 1 to 10 scale. So when you go to a doctor, it's often, uh, you'll hear the question, how bad is your pain today? 5 out of 10, 1 out of 10. Now, a lot of these studies show symptomatic benefit and some there are some studies that are looking at functional scores as well but primarily when i'm talking to a patient i'm letting them know that it could benefit their their pain now in terms of function 
usually when pain improves, function improves as well. So, I mean, that, that has a tendency to, the function t- tends to follow pain, but usually I, when I'm talking to patients, I'm letting them know that it's usually pain that we're aiming for, decreasing pain. So is this a good alternative then to somebody who maybe has been stuck taking narcotics or opioids for a while? Definitely, definitely. So one of the cool things about injection therapy is when you take a medication by mouth, you're basically getting all the systemic side effects. You're taking this medication, the medication's being distributed throughout the entire body. And if you're, t- if you're doing that for, say, a knee injury, if you can put medication like a corticosteroid or PRP directly into the knee, and you're really treating that tissue locally, to me, it's a better approach than just taking a medication that's kind of like, um, you know, using the analogy, bringing a gun to a knife fight. You put the medication directly where the the tissue is injured and where you're having pain. To me, it makes more sense. Sure. Are there age limits? Can you be too young or too old? As far as I know, I haven't read a lot about specific age limits for PRP. Now, in my particular practice, I'm apprehensive to inject any pediatric athlete. Mm -hmm. I think that if an athlete who is in their teens is participating at a high level such that they have an injury that requires a discussion about injection therapy, I think that there are other foundational things that we need to address. And I'm just apprehensive. I know that there will be providers you can find in the Seattle area and Washington state who would offer injection therapy to pediatric athletes, but I'm a little bit more apprehensive. So for me, usually after age 18 upwards of any other age, um, I would offer PRP too. Mm-hmm. I know my dad did it and he, I think he was 70 or 72 mm-hmm. at the time and it worked really well for him. So, yeah. but it was the same conversation we had. They were like, well, your insurance isn't going to cover it. So do you want to give it a whirl or not? So. Exactly. Um, so I've heard a lot of professional athletes say that it saved their careers. And I know Steph Curry, Isaiah Thomas, Jared Bayless, even Terrell Owens was very, very vocal about it many years ago. And it seems like it's been around a long time. How long has it been around? And what do you say to those that say it saved my career? So you're right. It actually has been around a long time. And from what I understand, listening to some of the thought leaders and some of the people I trained with, PRP was actually a treatment that was that took off in equestrian medicine. So, so horses don't, they, they don't tell you tall tales. They will, the proof is in the pudding, sure. whether they're running more quickly, whether they're running more laps and platelet rich plasma really largely originated in equestrian medicine and dentistry. So wait, dentistry, dentistry as well. Yep. So there are some huh. dentists who will use PRP to help facilitate healing of whatever dental pathology. Oh, I can't okay. say that I know okay. too much about it, but, um, yeah, dentists and, um, veterinarians really kind of, um, started the field. In fact, there's one veterinarian who is a thought leader with regard to orthobiologics and sports medicine providers are really taking pages out of her book in terms of how to treat musculoskeletal injuries in athletes and humans. So it's been around a really long time. Um, in terms of the question about saving someone's career, I have not had someone tell me that personally yet. I have, I've heard stories in the media about athletes really doing well with PRP, and I think that's terrific. I think that's great. And if you can use uh, an injection therapy as opposed to 
surgical options, you're really saving the patient a lot of rehabilitation, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of emotional stress. And if you can do that by just putting a needle into a knee or a tendon, sure. to me, that's a huge win. Well, especially too with athletes, they don't want to be on medications a long time. They don't want to be on painkillers. They can't half the time be on painkillers and play. So I can imagine it is a great assist for them. Definitely. Um, I also like the idea of the horses because if you will use this on a three, four, five million dollar race horse, it's probably good enough for me too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about PRP. Take a seat. Right over there. Sat on the stairs. Stay or leave. The cabinets are bare and I'm unaware of just how we got into this mess. Got so aggressive. I know we meant all good intentions. So pull me closer. Why don't you pull me close? Why don't you come on over? I can't just let you go. Oh, baby. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind just a little. with Talk with the Doc with our guest, Dr. Andrew Gomez from Providence Medical Group. And today we're talking about PRP. I want to remind our listeners, though, before we start again, that the information provided during this show is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider regarding a medical condition or treatment. So Dr. Gomez, talk to me a little bit about when you talk to your patients and you bring this up, do they instantly think that this is stem cell related and it's stem cell research? Many of them do. And 
what happens to a lot of patients is they get these notifications in the mail, in the paper, um, in their email about these, quote, stem cell treatments from clinics all over the place. They get these notifications in the mail about these um, conferences where you go and you listen to some speaker of various backgrounds talking about, quote, stem cells. So there is a lot of confusion. It is a little bit of the Wild West at this point. So I have a lot of patients coming in when I introduce the idea of using platelets. They automatically will reflexively say, oh, like stem cells. So it is very common, and I do have to spend a little bit of time kind of sorting out the details, really explaining that PRP is not a stem cell. It's not a stem cell treatment. It has nothing to do with stem cells. And is that concern usually because it's related to embryos or? So it's a concern because the people are referring to, quote, stem cell treatments as all types of different treatments. I think if you look at the the thought leaders, again, the, the people I follow in this field are not only Dr. Porcho, Dr. Henning, but also some people on the East Coast, Dr. Mountner, Dr. Gerard Malenga, and they have textbooks on the matter. They talk a lot about regenerative therapies and, and stem cells. And stem cells, typically, if you're going to get a legitimate stem cell treatment, the, the type of stem cell is mesenchymal stem cells, so MSCs. They're harvested from the patient's own body, either from the um, iliac crest, so the pelvis, or the adipose tissue. So those are the two sources that are commonly used in the United States. Now, there are people who, again, going back to these flyers and some of these mystery um, providers who are doing these stem cell treatments, they're offering Wharton's jelly treatments, amniotic fluid based treatments, a lot of things that are definitely unregulated and arguably may or may not be under the um, umbrella of stem cell treatments. So the ones that are really, really showing some degree of promise and are being aggressively researched are derived from either adipose tissue or from bone marrow. And there's a lot of other stuff out there. And I think it is when I have patients coming in specifically to talk about bone marrow treatments or stem cells or PRP, I, I make sure to really, really focus on um, those points because there is a lot of confusing information out there. Well, and I like that we started the conversation about it's my blood from my body being put back into my body. And that's really a big distinction for people, mm -hmm. I think. So why do you think people are drawn to this new treatment? Is it because they want to, they don't want to have surgery? Is it really surgery avoidal? Yeah. So I think people are drawn to orthobiologics, PRP in particular, because Surgery, when people are realistic about surgery, they know that there are risks with surgery. There's general anesthesia. You, For a major procedure, you have to get intubated. Um, the medications used for general anesthesia are not innocuous medications. They mm -hmm. are very um, serious medications. You're causing a large degree of trauma to the tissue with the incision and cutting through whatever tissue you have to cut, to, cut through to do the surgery. And then after that, you have to do rehab anyways. You're going to be probably on the hook for one to three months of routine physical therapy, routine rehabilitation. So I think when people are realistic about the prospect of doing surgery, they're really looking for other potential options that can really kind of avoid a lot of that time and effort and energy and emotional stress. And I really do think that the majority of people who are considering PRP are really trying to avoid surgery or they're, I, I think that's probably a good fraction yeah. of them, I would have to say. 
Well, it's interesting when you start talking about the surgery and the anesthesia and the recovery and the rehab, I would think even from a cost perspective, maybe it's still more affordable because you talk about your copay from a surgery, that could be more than than the PRP, couldn't it? Exactly, exactly. Now, the other thing too is people nowadays with these higher deductible plans, people have HSAs, HRAs, FSAs, all of these health retirement accounts, flexible spending accounts, and you can typically use that money for PRP. So it does defray the costs a little bit, but you're absolutely right. If you're going to go get an MRI, go talk to a surgeon, get the surgery, you're going to likely meet your deductible and more. Mm -hmm. Well, the recovery time also has to be a really good incentive, right? So surgery recovery time has got to be weeks, sometimes months. And what you were saying from this is it's pretty, pretty much you're right back, right? Well, a little bit of a distinction there. If you inject it into a joint, for example, the knee, people will feel some degree of stiffness for about two or three days, and typically they can get back to their activities of daily living pretty quickly. Now, PRP, it's not like a corticosteroid shot where people leave the clinic feeling pretty good or they feel better after 24 to 72 hours. Typically, it can take around six weeks to really feel the benefit of platelet-rich plasma. Now, With joints, people feel the stiffness. It's a little bit uncomfortable. We recommend Tylenol, icing it. But when you're talking about treating a tendon, it's a little bit of a different story. So when you treat a tendon, again, kind of alluding to what we talked about earlier, you create a methodical injury in the tendon by dry needling or poking the tendon. Then you put the PRP inside of it. PRP is pro-inflammatory. It's one of the reasons why it works. So when you have a a pro-inflammatory substance inside of a tendon, it can be very, very uncomfortable. And the way I counsel patients about it is it's going to feel like you got slugged in the arm if we're treating the rotator cuff or in the knee if you're treating the patellar tendon. And that pain will usually go away within the first week, but they're pretty limited in terms of their function and they're not very comfortable for anywhere from two to six weeks. After six weeks is really when things start um, evolving and people start feeling better. And during that time frame, they are on the hook for some degree of rehabilitation, very structured rehabilitation, mm-hmm. which can last anywhere from six to 12 weeks. So it is a process. It is involved when you're talking about tendons, treating tendons with PRP. Um, and it's definitely different than um, treating a joint. So there is some pain involved. Definitely. Okay. Well, that's good to know, I guess. <laughs> So there are other use cases for PRP that we've read about um, from hair loss, wrinkles, facials. Apparently, there's a famous Kardashian who did a quote unquote vampire facial. Do you know anything about that? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) I've seen reports in the media about um, these vampire facials and the Kardashian family making them popular. And so I've heard about it. I can't say that I know about the evidence or the efficacy. I would imagine that it could potentially be beneficial for dermatologic conditions, including hair loss, I would imagine, um, given the growth factors that are released by the platelets. But I can't say that I'm um, familiar with the research behind it. So you can't give me a facial is what you're saying? I I have the technology (laughs) to do it, but unfortunately, I just can't given my my specialty and expertise. Well, that's a great transition. Speaking of technology, what advancements are coming down in this space? Oh, there's so many. Oh, my gosh. So I I have friends in the biomedical industry. Uh, My sister worked in the biomedical industry for a little bit. And in in regards to sports in particular, I think the field of orthobiologics is really going to take off. I think one of the things about PRP that we didn't really allude to, which I think is worth a, a little bit of a tangent, is everyone's platelets are different. 
Everyone's pathologies are different. Everyone's platelet concentrations are different. So in the medical literature, what's being aggressively studied is what is the appropriate dose of platelets? How many platelets are you actually putting into a knee or a tendon? How many white blood cells are going into that? So there's leukocyte-poor PRP, leukocyte-rich PRP. Um, How many red cells are in the mixture? So there's a lot of developing technology and developing research on really fine-tuning the appropriate doses for platelet-rich plasma. So if you look at the medical literature right now, if you are not really clued into some of this stuff, you can read a paper and say, oh, well, PRP was effective or not effective for this particular pathology. But some of the background questions that you need to be thinking about is, well, what kit did they use? What was the concentration of the platelets? What was the volume of the platelets? Were there red cells present? Is it leukocyte-poor plasma? Is it leukocyte-rich plasma? So a lot of these research questions are being answered. I imagine that the field of orthobiologics, as we better understand PRP, is really going to take off. And if you really want to take a finer lens, a finer granular lens to what is actually going on with the platelets, they release all these different growth factors. And we're not exactly certain what soup of growth factors and chemokines and cytokines are responsible for some of the beneficial effects that we're seeing. Now, I think the field of orthobiologics, including stem cell treatments, have a ton of potential. There's also um, these little cameras. I know that there's one distributor that I work with who they're developing these little cameras that you can sneak into joints and tendons in the ambulatory clinic setting, which is really exciting. I don't know if that's going to take off for sports medicine, but I would imagine that the orthopedic surgeons will be using that technology. They've been Um, using that in hearts for a long time, right? Well, when you're thinking about hearts, you're thinking about catheters kind of sneaking up into the vessels of the heart to put in a stent. This is really, when you go in to see a surgeon for your knee, for example, and they're talking about your meniscus, they do an arthroscopic procedure. These scopes have a certain diameter to them. And what's happening now is the diameter of these scopes are getting smaller and smaller, such that they are now nearly as small as a needle. I mean, a a large gauge needle. But if you're (laughs) good at sneaking things in under ultrasound guidance, it's not a stretch to think that at some point in five years, 10 years down the road, you can be sneaking these cameras in different places under ultrasound guidance and getting visual confirmation of a diagnosis, for example, like a meniscus or a tendon. So that I think that's very exciting stuff. Um, so those are really some of the, the cool things that are, are taken off at this point. That's really exciting. Do you have to have specialized training in order to do what you do? So, uh, you know, I was fellowship trained in, in sports medicine at Swedish with some of the mentors I talked about earlier. And really, when I went through training, I did a ton of injections, and we documented them. We did a ton of ultrasound scans, which I documented, and now I have a certification in doing diagnostic ultrasound. It's called RMSK. So I would say if you're looking for a provider to do some of these treatments or use diagnostic ultrasound, you want someone who is familiar with the anatomy and has done a lot of them. Um, you know, there are some providers who are, quote, learning ultrasound or learning to do ultrasound-guided injections, and, you know, everyone has to learn. But I think that if you want a robust outcome, a quick, efficient injection, if you have someone who's done a lot of them, you're probably going to get a better experience. And that's no offense to the people who are learning because I was there too. <laughs> we've, we've all been there, right? <laughs> um, does your this might seem like a weird question, but if I started this this process and I'm I have like five or six or whatever it is you recommend, does my blood change over time? Is there anything that would cause me to not be able to finish a regimen? So, um, with regards to PRP, mm-hmm. 
So there are a lot of factors that affect the blood components. So for example, if you are drinking a lot of fluid, you can increase the plasma volume, which would cause a relative decrease in the concentration of the blood products, the red blood cells, the platelets. Um, Again, some of the medications can deactivate platelets. So if you're taking NSAIDs, you're going to have a less, likely less efficacious injection. Um, But usually it's uh, plasma volume medications that we routinely think about when it comes to um, efficacy of the PRP. Okay. Well, I know we're almost out of time, so I'm going to round us out with one question. Is there any patient case or use case that comes to mind that you think is a really good example of this was a most effective treatment that maybe stopped somebody from having to have surgery or got them back out on the court sooner? Definitely. There was one particular um, 30-something-year-old um, patient, and he enjoyed doing his Spartan races. He enjoyed going to the gym, being active. He was a recreational athlete, and for five-ish or so years, he had chronic right shoulder pain. Now, he had x-rays, he had MRIs, he went to go see surgeons, and what he had, the diagnosis was calcific tendinopathy. So he had this small calcification inside one of his rotator cuff tendons. Now, he was told that he should do physical therapy, take NSAIDs, and he should be fine. But the should take what? NSAIDs, so ibuprofen, naproxen, oh, okay. all those routine medications. And his pain was something that really prohibited him from participating in the activities that he really enjoyed. So when I did the ultrasound, I did see this small calcification. And one of the procedures that we offer at the sports clinic is something called barbitage or calcific lavage. And basically what that is, is again, sneaking a needle into that calcification under ultrasound guidance and aspirating out that calcium. The calcium, it's usually like a, a sandy texture or like a sludge, kind of like a grainy toothpaste in some in some instances. And you can use a, a larger bore needle, sneak it into that calcification and lavage it out with a syringe. Um, then you put in a little bit of corticosteroid in the bursa. And he's now two or three months out, and he's doing great. He hasn't had any pain. He's doing his Spartan races. I follow up with him from time to time. And to me, that was a huge win, and I really, really appreciated his story. So I think that's the one that comes to mind. Oh, that's amazing. It's got to be so good. It's such a great feeling to know that you can help somebody get out there and do what they want to do again. It is. It is. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gomez, and for those of you listening today on Talk with the Doc and to everyone for sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence St. Joseph Health. Make sure to follow us on social media at PSJH on Twitter and on Instagram and under Providence St. Joseph Health on Facebook. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. Thanks for listening.